This is the Total Football Podcast. I am Declan Hart. And I'm Andrew Conway. Let's get on with the show. This fella Ronaldo is a cod. Arsene Wenger's been in Japan for a year. He doesn't know anybody in English football. I have nothing to say. I'm so sorry, I have nothing to say. It's the history of the Tottenham. (laughs) (laughs) But this action is really incredible. Incredible. If you don't know the answer to that question, then I think you you are an ostrich. Let's cut right to the chase and get into the biggest game that happened over the weekend. Liverpool 2, Manchester City 2. I think most people will agree that the second half was probably the best 45 minutes we'll get all season. It's good that I fell asleep during it, isn't it, Declan? (laughs) Yeah, it does sound like it. Um, Yeah, it was a... a, I don't go into... I was watching coverage of it and I suppose that did spoil my um, objective analysis of it. That You know, there was complaining that... Uh, Man City were um, kind of playing very defensively and were there for the taking yet Liverpool were not brave enough they weren't courageous enough they didn't attack enough at them I don't necessarily agree with that I think Liverpool did look a bit tired in this game and as did City for that matter and didn't really look at full pace at full pelt they were missing players in important positions against City mostly right back is what I'm talking about and I know you thought James Milner was a red card wait happened during that match um, and you, you know when you lose your best player and a, a, a quick defensive cover, and you're playing against a team that are very likely to overload wings the way that City tend to do and did yesterday, uh, several times over, you kind of get this weird juxtaposition of a team having complete dominance yet being completely liable at the back, which makes them play even more conservatively. And then in the second half, goals went in. So when goals went in, it kind of put the match. Uh, What's the word? Uh, all caution was shown to the wind because suddenly you had to score to get back into it and save face. As the manager said going into this match, I think Klopp said no one's going to win the league, win or lose the league, and this match is just going to set the tone for the season, and it kind of did. I thought it was um, it was almost like a, a two-hander the way the Chelsea-Liverpool match earlier in the season was. It, I think it was a very similar game um, and possibly could have been the way that match finished out if... Uh, Chelsea had remained with 11 men in that game yeah like it's funny as well because like the first half both teams I think it it, had become clear to me that both teams seemed pretty happy if this game had finished nil all Um, and you know City had definitely had the better of the first half especially in the last Mm. 10-15 minutes when they were really like they were actually starting to threaten um, Liverpool's goal Phil Foden was kind of running riot on uh, James Milner and Bernardo Silva had that great little run where he ran around in a circle uh, and yeah. got around two Liverpool players. Then he managed to drop Virgil van Dijk, which I don't know, the last time someone was able to drop Virgil van Dijk. And then, um, you know, that led to a Phil Foden chance. And then Phil Foden as well nearly um, earned a penalty off James Milner. And they were definitely creating chances um, in that first half. But. Liverpool um, really came out in the second half and made a game of it and that was where everything kind of turned on its head and uh, it, it became much more even but even at that point it still seemed a bit like you know this could just finish nil-nil and both teams would be pretty happy with it like it would be on the better side of the nil-nils out there um, but yeah. then Salah just uh, like you know this is a this could be a career defining performance for him uh, he was 
monumentally um, important for, for Liverpool for both goals like the first goal he sets up so well um, to beat his man and that second goal was just um, you know it's going to be a goal of the season contender because you know you look at the position where he is when he receives the ball and, and you if you'd been told if you just seen the picture of where he was when he receives the ball and you get told he scores you just wouldn't know how he did it and uh, to score from such a tight angle as well against such quality defenders against a keeper as good as Ederson like that was that was maybe the best goal of his career well, I don't know if it's the best goal of his career, but yeah, he he's it's a high bar. This, yeah, it is. It's I put it this way: like this, Salah is. We I don't know if we've talked too much about it in in on the podcast, but definitely there is a there is a, a an era of footballer that we have kind of stumbled upon, and it's the player that um, kind of gets to a level and then remains at that level due to sports science and advancements in kind of management of a of a player's ability and, and, and kind of the way they played. And I think Salah's in the middle of one of those type of modern, you know, this is a modern footballer. I think Robert Lewandowski is another example. Zlatan is another example. Ronaldo, Messi. Kind of these players that are able to sustain being at their peak performance for basically a whole season and keep that going over multiple seasons. And I think Mo Salah... Like Liverpool did not have a good season last season. Mo Salah did, you know, and and he's been solid now going back since his Roma year basically, um or Fior was he yeah Fiorentina before he even went to Roma. He's been like at this r- roughly level of performance. Of course, he's got better with the better a, a better teammates around him, and playing at a higher level. I think that supported him as well. But yeah, he's no matter what happened during that match yesterday. I think there was a lovely example early in the first half where Cancelo he knew Cancelo was going to beat him for pace. And he almost Salah gave up on beating him for pace. It was almost something you'd watch a, a tennis player do in a, in, a, in a rally when they know that they they will won't hit this shot as hard as they possibly can. But he basically went to close him down immediately. He, he transferred his energy from chasing the ball down and winning it first time to winning the press after Cancelo had the ball, and he won the ball back cleanly after it. And I think that's that intelligence and that you know just. I, 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 just a clear ability, and when it's in form, when it, when you, when you, when you're in that kind of zone, most things you do work out, and I think that's where Sal is at the moment, where he's he's just in the, a, a place that you give him the ball and he's going to perform and he's not going to let you down, and I think he's really, I like when's the last time Sal has put in a bad performance? Like Liverpool have put in plenty of bad performances in the last year, but very seldom has Sal been part of that. He's been the kind of outlier in the team, and I think he was yesterday, even in that first half. I think he was a clear performer. Above most others, he didn't have many touches of the ball, but he when he did, he, he did his bit, and he, he did his bit of running, and he did his bit of pressing, and I think he did that his whole match, and really it just he took the opportunities that presented themselves when the match was a bit more open in the second half, and it resulted in two goals, really. Yeah, and like this is, I think, something that's kind of gone under the radar to start of the season, but he's been incredible to start of the season. He's been, he's been really important to... Every Liverpool performance so far, um, you know, he's already got plenty of goals, plenty of assists. Um, you know, he's been crucial to the amount of points that they've had. Um, and mm. without him, like, you know, they wouldn't be exactly in the relegation zone or anything. But I don't think they'd be, you know, able to compete with the likes of, of uh, Man City and without, and, and Chelsea. Like, it, it, it's funny as well, like the stuff we say about sports science as well. And the fact that he's maybe, maybe able to elongate his prime. Um mm. And, you know, you're completely right that this has happened across multiple people. It's happened across multiple sports, even, you know, you mentioned tennis. Look at Roger Federer at 40 or even Novak Djokovic and Ramadan yeah. at 35 or whatever. But 
he's coming up to a new contract now. Like the, there's the negotiations over a new contract now, and that's kind of been a big thing around the Liverpool fan base. Is um, you know they they really want him to sign the new contract because you know he's playing lights out at the moment. Of course, um, they they'd want to see more of him. They don't want to lose him. But it it gets that weird thing where Liverpool yeah. are run on a model of not really giving big contracts to older guys. Like he's 29 now, and you'd expect a player at that age to start to kind of fall off a little bit now. It's just natural. It's what happens. But it's not happening to Mo Salah at the moment. Uh, and it's mm. really hard to predict when it will happen because, you know, there's an argument to be made that he could be this good at the age of 32, 33. Um, yeah. But there's also a, a, another argument where he could be completely worse and, and be kind of a, a waste of space at the age of 33, 34. There could be a next generational talent that it could replace him at that age. But we don't know because... Mm. Um, you know, it's his own body or whatever, and it's it's a really interesting spot for Liverpool because they've kind of built themselves on building a young squad, growing it together, and then you know getting rid of the players at the right time. And I think that's going to be really hard to judge for Mo Salah. And it's interesting as well that Sadio Mane scored the first goal. You know, he made a good run to get into the right position there. He's also been scoring uh, at a much higher rate than he was last year, and it was last year that. People kind of wrote him off, and I think we probably did the same as well. He definitely wasn't as good last year, and there were signs there that he was starting to drop off. But he started the season really well, and yeah. I think that's that's a really interesting thing for Liverpool going forward. Like, what do they do with those two? Because they've already kind of replaced Firmino with Diogo Jota. Um, you know, Jota's been playing a lot of games already, and Firmino. Yeah, was, he's starting all the matches. And, yeah. and Firmino was always the kind of. The, the least important it doesn't really get argue maybe he was the most important because he linked the whole play together but he was never the guy to really lead the line there so he was in theory the easiest to replace um, mm. but the other two have been you know the, the face of Liverpool for the last three four years through this golden mm. age that they've had so it, it's a really interesting uh, proposition for them now of what they do next and, and you know they're making a good argument that they, they keep they keep the two of them and they keep going because they, they started the season so well yeah, like I think, but I think for certainly for from Mo Salah's point of view, I think he is definitely keeping his options open for his future. We don't know what the next summer window has in store for us or any of us. Like, um, I think it, he he could be eyeing a move to another, you know, one big last contract and maybe a move to another challenge, another place. He has won everything at Liverpool. Maybe he thinks Real Madrid is an option and he can work alongside maybe Mbappe and a few other players. If they can offload in Hazard, for instance, the other the other option is somewhere like Bayern Munich, where they kind of win everything anyway, and and, and they could he could form a part of a new triumvirate there, or indeed Paris Saint Germain because they always just sign everybody, and that's kind of the way things go. Um, I think from Liverpool's point of view, I'm sure they're probably going to offer him a contract. Um, to, because like I said, it doesn't look so, like Mo Salah's a guy that looks after himself. Hardly ever gets injured. He's probably going to get injured now. I've said that. And it doesn't look like he's going to slow up, really. And even when he's had injuries, he's kind of come back from it. His game, he, he's quick, but he's not. his game isn't based around pace. And his, I think he, in terms of his striking ability and his, his kind of nous in terms of positioning, similar to Sadio Mane, I think it's getting better with age. And I, I don't see why Liverpool wouldn't sign him up. I think it's a case of them probably deciding... It's 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 probably ball is in his court. He's probably going to see whether Klopp can build another team after that last team. Is, is there is there a plan going forward? A la Wayne Rooney in twenty eleven or twenty ten, whenever that that the last drop under Ferguson was. Um, I yeah, I think it's I think it's likely that he will stay at Liverpool, but I'm sure he's just keeping his options open. 
Yeah, and then I suppose on the other side of that, there's James Milner, who you alluded to earlier. Um, you know, I think 35 or 36 now. He definitely just, you know, he, he's been a stalwart of the Premier League for so long. It's only natural that this kind of time would come. But Gary Neville even said over the commentary that his first half performance uh, kind of reminded himself of kind of his performances when he knew he was at the tail end of his career. And um, yeah. I think... I think, you know, Pep was extremely animated on the, I think it was the 70th minute or so when Milner put in a tackle that could have been the one that got him sent off for a second yellow. And like it, it kind of reminded me of it was last year when Solskjaer didn't take off Fred in that mm. big Champions League game. It kind of reminded me of that. You know, Fred didn't get away with it. He got sent off. Milner kind of did um, in yeah. this game. And Pep was absolutely livid afterwards and really kind of gave a, a spark to the game that we haven't seen from these two in a while. Because like they obviously yeah. they've played a few classics now, but there's never been that kind of animosity towards each other. Yeah. I still don't think there is, to be honest. But, but it but it, it it gave the match some animosity. It didn't really like I don't think yeah. there's any long lasting animosity from it. But no. you know the way the Pep celebrated that second goal and the fact that they got it, I think maybe saved that uh, from spiraling out of control. Maybe because maybe. like he he really gave that the big in, <laughs> as you as yeah. you say like yeah. But he did this last season with his. Was that the match where he's like holding up all the fingers and? Yeah, that was two years ago now when they were when they yeah. were proper title rivals and it was early doors and they they have had a few like the, the, there's been a few contentious decisions going to the home side in this game, um yeah. you know whether it's at Anfield or the Etihad uh, over the over the years so. Um, you know, Pep, Pep's been animated before, but I've yeah. never seen him celebrate a goal quite like that as well. And I think if they hadn't got it, um, he yeah, maybe he would have been know, angry. That would have been a legendary <laughs> Pep uh, bitter post press press conference. That would have been great. I've kind of yeah, g- didn't get to see that. <laughs> yeah, it would have been something else. Uh, honestly, given the way the weeks have gone for both teams, given the way that like Liverpool basically played the same team that and that went to Portugal during the week and won and. Man City had the disappointment against PSG and, and came back and you know some of their players still looking a bit off the pace I know, from tiredness or whatever, Kevin De Bruyne and, and a few others like that. Um, I, I think a two-all draw was was worthy of this ma- match. I think it was deserved from both sides. I think you know Liverpool's second half performance, Man City's first half performance overall, I think it's a fair result. And it, it leaves, you know, politically it's a good result for both teams. It doesn't rule, you know, it doesn't leave a bad taste in the mouth going into an international break for either team. They're both in touching distance atop the league. Um, and really it just it keeps all avenues are open for, for both sets of teams when it comes to James Milner like I, I feel for him like that, that guy never went he never went to Liverpool to play a fullback and he's been called yeah. to do it on numerous occasions I think this is the first time he's really like there's been a couple of moments in other games but this is the first time where it was picked on from minute one and he was attacked and they doubled up on him, trebled up on him at times they played balls in over the top to him because he's not a tall guy either so he can't really win those headers and yeah you kind of had the rest of the Liverpool defence coming back a bit more than maybe they'd wanted like Andy Robertson and on a, on a few occasions had to shuffle over to play centre back because he had Matip coming over to kind of cover for Milner which meant that Van Dijk was holding the centre on his own which happened a few times during the match and you know that, that that's not a functioning defence and I think in if I'd say he was picked for his experience rather than anything else. I think they are better options, quicker options, more athletic options on the bench in terms of Joe Gomez and uh, the young fella. I've, I've forgotten his name. Nico, whatchamacallum. And even they could have played the Greek left back. A, a right back probably might have been a better decision during that match or even changed up the system a little bit to, to kind of confound Pep's team. Um, but alas, James Miller is probably not 
we're not going to see him at right back anytime soon again yeah he wasn't the only kind of older player that didn't have the best game like he was maybe the most obvious one but I thought Jordan yeah. Anderson Virgil van Dijk yeah. Kevin De Bruyne I thought had a really underwhelming game I know he got the equaliser but he just nothing seemed to come off from um, yeah it was, it was, was quite interesting match. But but to go back to the point you made as well about you know both teams kind of being happy with this, I've actually been rewatching Succession ahead of the new season coming out, and there's a <laughs> moment in in the first season where um, they're they're making this big deal with uh, one of their rivals in in the media conglomerate industry, if you want to call it that, and uh, you know they kind of lowball them, and it gets accepted, and they come out of the meeting, and one of the characters is like, oh that's great, they accepted, and then the other two characters are like no they're smiling it can't be good that they're smiling there's something wrong here and I get that kind of feeling that Liverpool should be a bit worried that Man City were smiling after that um, that, that they kind of let Man City away with that because you know they've played if you think about it this way long term they've played Chelsea and Man City at home now and they've gotten two draws uh, when yeah. it comes to the, the late stages of the season when these games become properly massive they're going to be disadvantaged in the sense that they have to go to Stamford Bridge yeah. and the Etihad and, and, and it's in those games where we tend to see a winner more often in the second legs as it were in, in these yeah. title race big game moments um, so I I, 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 yeah. I I think both both games they should feel that they maybe could have come away with three points there given Chelsea were down to ten men given um, the advantage they had being 1-0 and then 2-1 up against Man City. Obviously, draws aren't the worst results out there and, you know, maybe these games won't really define who wins the title or not. It's impossible to say right now, but, you know, there's a world out there where they beat both of them and they're really clear of the table already um, and that would have been a big difference for them, I think, psychologically. Yeah, I feel they're not that team anymore. That's I agree with you entirely. would have given them a massive... A massive up up and advantage over everybody else but i like liverpool like the same way that i say man city are the same old man city when they can't beat you know teams that you expect them to beat sometimes and they they put in the same stocky performance whether they're playing the top of the league or bottom of the league i feel that with liverpool this season that they're not what they once were and they don't have that firepower as you said like virgil van dijk having or you know not being imperialist or imperious the whole match jordan henderson misplacing passes um, you know, Fabinho being a bit slow to the ball, you know, Joel Matip being your 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 covering player, you know, these aren't the most encouraging signs for for a team wanting to chase down another big title. But I still think they're pretty good. Um, just not what they were a few years ago when they were heading towards a hundred points. I don't think we'll see a team get near that this season. It was an interesting week for uh, the big two in Spain. Uh, Barcelona got absolutely humiliated midweek at, at Benfica, losing 3-0, and then uh, compounded all their problems by losing 2-0 to Atletico Madrid midweek. Uh, but Real Madrid, uh, in sympathy, embarrassed themselves just as badly by losing to uh, a team none of us had really heard of, I'd say, six months ago, and Sharif from kind of mm. from Moldova but not from Moldova you know let's not get into the politics of that or whatever it's yeah that's a very shady situation that you can lead <laughs> up to on your own time because it's too out there but then they also <laughs> lost the lead to Espanyol uh, mm. so um, <laughs> these two teams they're not doing too hot at the moment no um, you're looking at them the like some like especially I'm looking I'm looking at Real Madrid at the moment we'll come to Barcelona in a second because I think that's a bigger <laughs> a bigger more long term issue um 
Real Madrid, you're looking, the team sheet reads pretty well, you know, they have some pretty strong and, 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 and big characters and big players with lots of experience in that, in that, in that certain eleven, and they just weren't performing and haven't performed for a long period of time, I think, I, I'm, I'm not at the stage of blame, blaming Carlo Ancelotti for any of this, because I think Zidane had a similar issue last year with, with some of these players, they're just not up to the, the Real Madrid standard of old, and you almost feel, with the exception of a few performers, Courtois and uh, Benzema and obviously Modric and, and, and Kroos when they're there, um, that you know this team is like they're just expecting to beat other teams without doing much. They're not putting in the hard graft. They're not putting in the hard pressing. They're not really creating a huge amount of chances. They're they're getting dispossessed easily. They're getting outmuscled in midfield. And unless some chance materializes from them out of nowhere, like the way it has in a lot of games this season for Kareem Benzema, for instance, um, they they don't really create much. And yeah, that's uh, it's something you have to look at with recruitment at Real Madrid or with bringing players through and their over reliance on these elderly players that have been there since the Champions League heyday. But they haven't adapted that well to Ronaldo being gone. I think Benzema has done more than his fair share of, of covering goals. But like the players they brought into. To replace Ronaldo, the young Brazilians and Eden Hazard and others throughout the squad really haven't delivered. And, you know, they, they've done better in Barcelona in recent times, but, you know, that's a pretty low bar to cover. Yeah, like it is only, I suppose, the fact that Barcelona are maybe the biggest mess of any yeah. big club in Europe that is maybe saving Real Madrid from a bit more press coverage to do with everything that's going on there and and, yeah. and to they still have scope to rebuild like, they do like the the, yeah. the long term health of Real Madrid just looks so much better than Barcelona that yeah. you know this has been a bad week for them but I still kind of think okay they might not win anything this year and I don't think they'll go far in the Champions League but at the end of the day this is still a team in transition you know maybe even managerially Carlo Ancelotti might just be yeah. someone to. Uh, steer the ship out of out of treacherous wa- yeah. treacherous waters until they can bring in um, someone you know a bit younger, Ralph a bit fresher, or, something like that. Or, even yeah, um, like he feels well like as, Capello in two thousand and eight or seven when he was yeah, brought well, in for one season, somehow managed to win the league uh, with a transitional group of players, including an aging David Beckham. Uh, and, and, it does and, very much feel like that. And at, and at the end of that cycle, they ended up signing Kaká, Ronaldo, Benzema. And it feels like they were coming to that kind of moment yeah. where they buy Mbappe, Haaland. They've already got Camavinga, I suppose. But, uh, yeah. you know, they are building towards the future there. Whereas at Barcelona, it's just every day it feels like something comes out about the club that is just absolutely, well, one, hilarious, really. Because how can a club be this poorly run, but also just depressing as well? Like, how can it be so poorly yeah. run? Um, you know the whole stuff with Ronald Coleman like first of all mm. you know is Coleman it, it's so hard to judge like is Coleman actually doing a bad job like it should a team with these players in it be doing much better than they currently are like could a different manager extract that much more out of this team like I think that's mm. you know something that we can't really tell like the squad isn't actually all that great like you can really see um, how much Messi was doing in those last couple of years yeah. to save them out of so many holes. Well, even even uh, Simeone said it at the weekend. He's like, in the, we've had a lot of games like this against Barcelona the last few years, but those games were different because they had Messi. Yeah, that was uh, you know, and and that was a, a game that you said was humiliating for Barcelona at the weekend. You know, they um, Simeone thinks that his side played that well and Barcelona played that badly in recent years, but the results didn't show that because Messi did something to to mm. salvage points out of it, and you, you can't disagree with him. Like um, 
I, I, I think the jury's out on Coleman. I know he's briefing against his chairman and, and vice versa. I think it shows the, you know, we talk about the great ownership that models that exist around the world. And Barcelona have one of the greatest ones. They're owned by the fans. They're owned by the club. They have paying subscribers as well as, you know, their commercial revenues and everything else. People pay to, to be Barcelona fans. And as a result of that, they vote an election that elects a president that then, and a board that then runs the club on their behalf and sometimes you can see that that's great you know you get direct fan involvement in in the running of your club but oftentimes it also leads itself to the standard political shysteries is that the correct term for but you Mm. know when you know messing about politically and that's kind of what yeah Mm. it's kind of what Laporta does he's ex he's a very good politician I don't think anyone doubts that and you know administratively he did okay the first time he was in charge of the club like they they won Champions Leagues and he left a fairly good team behind when he was leaving um and a good structure in place and it was kind of like whittled away in the years afterwards but that maybe if that was his fault for not setting in the right you know protections in place there and not you know cherishing and, and nurturing the right attitudes in terms of the management staff and in terms of what would come out of the youth team or whatever i don't know but coming back into it now he's clearly got a manager he doesn't want they've lost their most you know important player possibly of all time probably of all time um they're in the biggest transition period they've been in since at least the first time he was at the club back in 2002 2003 and they're without kind of the like the, the mystique is still there i think barcelona is still even i remember in the 90s barcelona real madrid they were a different class it's like juventus and maybe Juventus Sheen has worn off a bit and Milan Sheen has worn off a bit in recent times but Barcelona Real Madrid still have that I think um, they have that air of they are the, the gold standard by which you judge teams globally and w- them putting in these performances you know the, you say oh, would, a better, would another manager do better than them but they're, they're still the you know, touching distance of La Liga they're still in exactly. the you'd consider you consider they're still in the Champions League I don't know for how much longer but they're still in it for now and they'll probably be in the Europa League most likely um like is that terrible like most clubs in europe would take that i know like for instance arsenal team that was once uh, up there with barcelona went through have gone through a similar phase and they, they'd give anything to be where barcelona are right now um and certainly teams across europe like schalke are in the second division in, in germany now you know teams that are routinely you know up there in the champions league they, they've fallen away and i don't necessarily think barcelona will that that much i think the worst well, I, I heard an analogy last week from John Bruin. I thought it was very apt. And I think it's something that Barcelona fans should keep in mind with the way things are going. Um, Man City fans have an air of... Remember the good old days when we were playing like Doncaster or, or Aldershot or whoever they were playing in league, what is now League One when they had been relegated back there twice back in the 90s. And, you know, we were there through thick and thin. We were there for everything and blah, blah, blah. And I heard a joke last week that Manchester United are in that now. And they're, you know, we were there in Manchester United were seventh place in the mm-hmm. Premier League. We were there when they're out of Europe. And, you know, that's why we're back in Oli. And I think a bit of that kind of siege mentality might do Barcelona fans a bit of good in this, in this day and age. You know, knowing that, like, we were there now. This is their bad time. This is when you need to support your club when they're in this ludicrous ridiculous time and trust that through some misfortune or fortune they'll crack their way out of of the where they are they'll appoint the right manager they'll they'll extract themselves from the position they're in and 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 head back to the top the way they did after Cruyff left the way they did after you know when Laporta was appointed and they they mysteriously appointed Frank Reichardt and it somehow worked out for them the way they did when the whole right guard experiment went to hell and, and Ronaldinho was bringing everyone clubbing every night and they appointed 
Pep and then Pep won everything. You know, the, they stumble across these these amazing moments in football. And, you know, it's, from a fan point of view, all you can do is, you know, keep believing. And as you said, from everyone else's point of view, you can just laugh. But but the thing is, like, I think it was actually Ken Early on, on Second Captains made this point of, like, you know, you talk about back then in 2000, 2003, that era, that they, they weren't quite, you know, they weren't at all what they ended up being under Pep mm. and whatever, but... You know, they talked about at that stage kind of becoming what Manchester United were, like they saw Manchester United as this like yeah. path to follow. Um, but they were able to spend thirty million on on Ronaldinho, and that was kind of Ken's point. Yeah. But you look at it now, and you think, oh, there's definitely paths to follow. You, you know, you could probably look at Liverpool now as as a great uh, path to follow for Barcelona. But they don't have thirty million to spend on a Ronaldinho or a, no. or a relative thirty million figure. Like they just don't have that. Look at yeah. like. The, the figures came out on the on the wage budgets that have been kind of set by La Liga's uh, financial fair play rules and theirs has been mm. slashed by two thirds like that is absolutely yeah. obscene um, and, and you know it could be slashed even further the way they're going you know yeah there's reports at the moment that they can't afford to pay to get rid of Coleman and that's why they're sticking with him right now like that's not really a great vote of confidence uh, either I yeah, I honestly think they're sticking with him until he, like I thought, there was a lot of talk he gets sacked before the Atletico match, but I didn't think it was possible at all. I think they wanted him to lose to Atletico. I think they want him to soak up as much of the, you know, the bad feeling around the place as possible before they let him go. I think at the latest it'll be when they fail to qualify for the knockout stage of the Champions League if that day comes, um, but, which will be in two then- match days. But even then, like, what is the plan after that? Like, there doesn't seem to be much of a great one. It's bringing, just hope Xavi is a good manager. Like, that doesn't well, seem like a great strategy. I don't even know whether Laporta is going to appoint Xavi. I've heard a lot of other managers being linked to Roberto Martinez as one. But that's like, not inspiring, is it? Like, Roberto Martinez no, well, was laughed out of Everton. As was Ronald yeah, Coleman. <laughs> as was Ronald Coleman. Uh, well, Martinez did well the first season. I don't think, I think Martinez was, in fairness to Martinez, I think Everton sacked him too early. Yeah, but Martinez, um, we, we've said this so many times. With he can't defend. Martinez, yeah. Is he can organise a defence. And neither yeah. Barcelona desperately need a guy who could organise defence. Like, what, well, what this Barcelona team really needs is someone like Antonio Conte. But they'd never go there. They just would never go there. They'd never do that. But, like, they need I'm, a, a I'm, general marshal to come in and say, this is how I do things. This is how we now do things. Yeah, but I'm okay with that because I think but you have to have more about you. Um, no, I agree. I, I agree, but the, but but that it becomes and, and, stick know, to the Dutch ideas. Like appoint your man at uh, Ten Hag at, at, from Ajax, or uh, go I back to the be, source. And it would be a shame to see you know what they're yeah it ruined Ten Hag's career. And, to and, be and, honest. I, and I don't think Ten Hag would take that mid season because I I think at the moment they kind of talk no. around Ajax is that they actually think they could do something special again this season, which is impressive. I didn't think that they yeah. had it in them. Um, but yeah. Well, you know, Haller get the West Ham striker that can't play for West Ham, and he scores hat tricks <laughs> in the Champions League. Yeah, imagine what they could do with the West Ham striker who could score goals. Bring in Antonio, and uh, yeah, they'll, well, they'll be they, I think they could do a lot with him. But that's that's beside the point. Like with, I do, I do, I do solemnly believe that the Barcelona should stick to their guns with, with who they appoint and, and really stick to a style of play. I think they've been wandering for years now. I I think. They have a way of playing and they have a style of playing and, and I think Pep Guardiola greatly adapted that and I think it was a different style of play while in keeping with the the ideals of total football and the ideals of the Dutch ideals set down by Johan Cruyff. I think Enrique adapted those again and they got a bit further away from it. And then since Enrique I think they've been wandering. 
I think they were over reliant on star players to really perform for them. I, I and I don't feel that there is an ideology running through that side anymore. I don't know what they're really trying to do or what they're about. And I felt that with all of the managers really in the, in that time period. And yeah, it's it's a bit of a well, an annoying thing, but the, the, like they have to find someone who can who can do that. And after that, then I believe. Once they think they've appointed the right person, then they back them wholeheartedly and they clear out that squad. Because I know you're saying that they're great limited in terms of wage and wages and of you know the players they're actually available to afford to buy. But if a, a bit of a thing is back in 2000, 2003, they, Barcelona had a similar glut of old, aging, usually Dutch players that were on huge wages and a few South Americans. And they eventually just carved the place away. And they got rid of all these high earners for some for decent fees, some for not so decent fees. You're looking at Raquel May, looking at Saviola, you're looking at Reisinger, you're looking at the DeBoer brothers, Rivaldo. They cleared all of these guys out in that period of Laporta's first being there, Edgar Davids, um, Kaku. You know, all of these guys got cleared out and you, you basically they, they made way for the new young players to come in and the couple of stars they were able to afford, like Ronaldinho. Um now I don't know whether Lem- whether Le Messiah has those type of players coming through to you know to fill the boots of Puyol and Xavi and Iniesta and Messi, most pertinently of all. But I could see them you know managing to you know Frankie De Jong. I think he's a very good player. I'm not sure if he's working out of Barcelona. If I were him, I would get out of Barcelona. I'm sure there's plenty of teams Loads. in France, in Germany, in England that would love to have him. <laughs> even Real Madrid for that matter. I think he probably is better suited to play at Real Madrid than he is at Barcelona at the moment. Um, but that's beside the point and there's plenty of other players like that in that team who who would still fetch a, a fair amount um, if they're willing I, I, to get rid I of just, them. I, I just don't necessarily agree that they can now afford to do that because you know that takes seven or eight years the way they're going it takes longer than that oh. they, 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 they need to steady ship they need to you know stop the they need to clot the blood basically um, because mm. they are they are draining at the moment like you know teams not a lot of teams can afford to live by a philosophy that they can build a team around. Really, it's only the super wealthy can afford to do that. Um, mm-hmm. And those with the uh, history of success, they obviously have the history of success. But when the the current success kind of goes away and you become a mid-table side, like, you know, you need a reset. You need to completely overhaul everything you're doing. Um, and you can't necessarily afford to go well you know we want to be what we have always been we want to play this type of football like at a certain point you get bad enough that you actually just can't afford to do that it's not possible I don't think there is that that guy you speak of out there um, for Barcelona that can magically fix everything Um, you know it's not so easy it's not so easy to offload players uh, you know especially when on such high wages as Barcelona have found out um, it's not so easy to scour the the planet and find cheap bargains when you're Barcelona anymore. You get you get um, right you get road in the market. Um, you know those players yeah. have already been found by Atalanta, Borussia Dortmund, um, Ajax. They've already been scouted. Um, you know it's not so easy to do these things anymore, and that's kind of the privilege of being uh, the super wealthy elite is that you don't have to do that because you can afford to pay Ajax that premium for a Frankie de Jong or that premium to Borussia Dortmund for a new Span Dembele. But unfortunately, they, um, you know, it's it's been well documented that they didn't do a good job in paying for those people and yeah. that they've ended up paying more than they could afford. So 
Um, at a certain point, they do just need a total reset. Um, you know, I do agree that it would be sad if they ended up going with a, a, a marshaller, a, a Conte, a, a, somebody who's going to drill everyone because it's not the Barcelona way. But, um, you know, uh, I just don't know if they can really afford to do that uh, in their current state. No, and yeah, it, it could just be they just bounce from place to place. I I feel without either doing one or the other of these things, either trusting their future in, in one person that they, they believe they can lead them back to the promised land or appointing someone who goes against their ethos but will steady the ship. They're going to just waffle around in, in nothingness and insignificance for a long time to come. And, and and a lack of leadership really just seems mm. quite obvious at the moment. Like I, I think we could someone, have another Milan situation or another. Yeah, Milan like, is is yeah. a very obvious one, and and you know we saw we've seen now like Milan are only just now back in the Champions League after missing it for seven or eight years. Yeah, um, they're far. Um, they've fallen or they fell a far away in that last ten years as well. And it took them a long yeah. road to get back there, and it took, you know, diverting away from from their past and and resetting and. And building themselves up and, and following the path of more well-run yeah. clubs. Um, so, you know, <laughs> Milan, I suppose, could be the, the thing that Barcelona end up looking towards in the next few years. Um, mm-hmm. And it, it is sad to see such an institution just be so down on its knees. Um, but, you know, they're the con- consequences of their actions. Yeah. Um, and, and ironically enough, you know, while Messi did score his first goal for PSG over the... Over the midweek against Man City you know things just don't look all that happy over there either no they're falling out all left right and centre uh, Mbappe calling him a tramp for um, calling Neymar a tramp rather for, for not passing him the ball the way he passed it Julian Draxler I still think that side is tr- desperately imbalanced The my 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 assertion that the, the power still rise of Pochettino I still believe that for the time being but um, yeah they are I don't know if they're on a solid footing as I as I once thought they are. It it seems like a team that's perfectly weighted for FIFA rather than weighted for the real world. Yeah, like uh, the interesting thing with Pochettino is I'm just not sure that he works with the players that he's been given. Like I, I just yeah. don't think that that works out. I don't know if anyone could work with them though because it is yeah. too, it's the, too top heavy. It's the, too experience or lack of experience with experience. Like it's there's too much of a gap there. There's no one in between. They they have too many egos in that whole squad to keep them all happy. Like these players aren't playing. Like these, like you can't have Messi, Di Maria, Draxler, Cardi, Mbappe, Neymar, uh, Verratti, Van Aldum all in one side. It doesn't work, and they're starting to see the discontent that that's brewing. Yeah, like um, I, I suppose the obvious name out there would be Zidane. Seems like he might be the man best suited. Well, according to the FIFA ads, he already has the job. You know, he's just there. Have you seen any of these FIFA ads going around for FIFA 22? One or two, yeah. It's just Zidane acting as a manager and then him just coaching uh, Kylian Mbappe while wearing, you know, Kylian Mbappe were playing for PSG. I was like, huh. And, it's like and, they've they've skipped something ahead here and they know something yeah. we don't know. And, and the funny um, thing as well is that, you know, Zidane is that history with Marseille as well. I'm sure he's made comments about PSG in the past, but I think he's a very realistic man and he would take that job if it was offered to him. Um, yeah, because that's, it would be that's the best an angle I've not him. That's an angle I've not thought of before. Like he he didn't he wasn't a one man club in France by any stretch. I think he was in for, uh, he played for Cannes, he played for Bordeaux mm-hmm. when they were, you know, a, the much more powerful team in in France after Marseille's fall from grace. 
um, in the mid 90s. I think he did he win a cup winners cup or at least got to a final. I think they might have lost to Bayern Munich in the final in '96, right before he moved to Italy. Um, yeah, so he he isn't a one club man by any stretch in France. But yeah, it's an interesting aspect for someone for someone as loyal to Marseille necessarily as as Zidane has been in terms culturally to go to PSG might be a thing. But I think it might be. I don't know if that. They don't like each other, but again, this is a club that was formed in 1969, PSG. You know, how much can you hate PSG if you're from Marseille? You know, I don't know if it's that deep. Uh, the Marseille ultras would uh, maybe tell you that yeah, it's that, maybe deeper yeah. than we think, but but those guys but are But does Zidane belong to the ultras? You know, that's the... Yeah, it's just a thing that I, I think, you know, some people at Marseille might get annoyed about, but no one else would really care about. And I think Zidane mm. is a very realistic guy and he would see the opportunity ahead of him and just take it he wouldn't i don't think yeah. you know while he is a loyal guy seemingly i don't think he would necessarily think too too much about it really in, if, in those terms so hypothetical if you're sitting sedan and for some bizarre reason you haven't been offered the france job yet which i still think is just a crazy... i think that's what he wanted yeah i think that that was the thought like i think that's what it, we yeah. all thought after the oros is he would would take that but nothing well, moved fr- on it generally speaking the french job seems to be and it historically has been this way that it's belonged to younger men they don't it's not like in other countries where you kind of give it to the oldest manager and let them take it on their most experienced manager the way that it often is in other countries um across europe you know in spain often in england sometimes in in other countries like that in france it seems to be like okay this guy's the best equipped for it or he's the best coach for it in the form of like ma jacke or or even Raymond Dominic laterally, or or currently Didier Deschamps, but like they've gone through, they tend to stick to a, a style and a, an age profile of manager to to a point. And Zidane fits that at the moment, and I don't think he will in ten years' time. To be quite honest, and maybe he won't be wanted in ten years' time for that matter. Um, but it seemed like the likely appointment. And if you're not going to go that way, go appoint Arsene Wenger for the love of God. Yeah, um, so I think that does leave the door open for him to go to PSG because I don't really see anywhere else he could go. Allegri's at Juventus. I don't really see him working out in England. Um, if you had, well, maybe at United. If you were Zidane and you were offered France or PSG or, uh, we'll, we'll just leave it at that because you don't think they're going to go. He's going to go elsewhere. What if being Zidane? What do you think you should take? I think the France job would be the more interesting one, but it mm. depends as well because they're so different. Like, does he want to do the day-to-day stuff? or <laughs> I never got that impression from him, you know, yeah. that he, he's that into that. He, he seems more interested in, in the France job, and that was uh, from the comments he made. It, it's what I inferred from it is that's the role he wanted, and he didn't intend to stay out of management long. Um, but for some reason or another, France, you know, the, that position never came up. So I, I could see him certainly going to PSG, which would you know put Pochettino in a really weird position but I suppose we'll talk about that one when it, when it, whenever the day comes uh, no point going too yeah. far ahead of ourselves but for, for, <laughs> we'll let the international break happen first before we, we yeah, announce well, now, now would be the time for any of these clubs to, to make moves as, as Watford did or, uh, yesterday but uh, it, it's just so odd with PSG like, and you know they got a really good result against Man City but you know did they really deserve it, it, it is um, you know a completely well, different part of it you know Messi scores yeah. a great goal but Man City definitely create the chances and you know they have their own weakness with, with converting goals at the moment because mm-hmm. of the lack of Harry Kane um, that they didn't get in for the now. summer for now yeah um, so you know that, that's their own <laughs> PSG like, should just sign them for the lulls <laughs> for the lulls yeah I guess but yeah. like that's you know that's the kind of game that Man City can lose at the moment is one where they dominate create a load of chances but don't, just don't score a goal um mm-hmm. 
So, um, but then they just get carved open by Ren. And the thing that stands out to me um, is the fact that, like you say, that they're playing with so many attacking players. But like um, you know, I saw it broken down earlier the, for the for the I think it was the first goal. Um, Ren scored like they were essentially six on ten. Um, Ren because they had four players up front: Di Maria, Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe who just didn't run. And you know, if you give any professional players a two-on-one advantage, they're gonna they're gonna take it. Yeah, eventually it's going to pay dividends. Yeah, that is something um, that is always the law of numbers in football is something that always works. It always pays dividends in the end. So, like the thing that I that I come to when I think about this is like, okay, Messi is what 34 35 now he can't run like he used to and he's still so talented he can he just chooses not to (laughs) he can't run with the same intensity over 90 minutes like that's just no i think natural of any 34 35 year old in football but or in in life but you know mbappe's 23 and neymar is like 29 like why can't these guys run why why are they just standing there as well why are they doing nothing um, defensively, like that's just uh, to me unacceptable, really. For for like, I, I might sound a bit like Amy Dunphy here a bit, but uh, like you know, why isn't an Mbappe contributing? Like, why does he seem to think he's above that? Um, I, you know, I think that's a really bad knock against him. Potentially, you know, his character, even um, the fact that he's not willing to do that. Like when Messi comes into the team, the first thing that every other player should have been told is we have to make up for his inability to run because he's good enough and old enough to have earned that respect and that um, reverence from us. Um, yeah. And instead, it's just been a bit like, yeah, well, he's just another guy that won't run and we'll just keep doing what we're doing. And we just it, it seems arrogant to think that they won't need to run, that they can just be so good that they will walk uh, any win that they need. Farmers League comment here, yeah. <laughs> and, but, but but like that's not the case. So we just saw them get get completely done by Ren, who are a decent side. Yeah. They're in the Conference League at the moment. They they got a result against Tottenham. Like they're clearly a good side. There's plenty of good teams in France. You know, Lille won the league last season, not PSG. Yeah. Uh, nice, Marseille, Lyon. They're all well coached. They're all on the rise. Uh, despite the kind of financial issues in the league, uh, you know it's a good league. They, they, I don't think they would be able to walk it um, the way things are at the moment. So why are they trying to? Yeah, that is that is the question. I, I'm not entirely sure what their game plan is. They seem to be stockpiling talent. Is it a PR stunt for the for the benefit of of Qatar and? Is it for the World Cup? There was an interesting thing I heard last week about the possibility that PSG will start divesting themselves of, uh, or not PSG, but Qatar will start divesting themselves of footballing assets post World Cup. That it'll matter a lot less to them about the, you know, the importance of Qatari's image in terms of the football world will matter a lot less once the main flagship event is over. But if that is the case, then maybe Pochettino is the manager for the long term because it's someone who can actually work with what's left after that exodus of, of high-class talent and someone to keep them competitive thereafter. Um, but yeah, for the moment, it doesn't really make much sense at all. Yeah, and uh, the other big club that I want to talk about this week is, is Manchester United, who uh, drew one all with Everton this week and you know kind of scraped a victory against Villarreal midweek with a, a last-minute winner against... Uh, Unai Emery's side kind of revenge for the Europa League but uh, one extract yeah. I saw that I thought was just really well done by Mark Critchley over in the Independent said 
Manchester United struggle in build-up play. They cannot defend transitions. There is no consistent structure to their attacks. They rely too much on individuals. They do not have a recognised first-choice holding midfielder. They do not have a, much of a midfield at all, for, the, for that matter. They are an expensively assembled team that often look far less than the sum of its expensively acquired parts. But worst of all, usually at some point during the closing stages of an especially disappointing performance, they will often deliver a match-winning moment, which leaves which leaves some of us in the Old Trafford press seats asking, does any of that actually matter? Um, which I just saw was a really good way to sum up everything. And they didn't get that last-minute uh, match-winning moment against Everton, and it, and it didn't really feel if like anything, it was coming. If anything, they should have, yeah. But Everton uh, got that, so that was disallowed, if you remember, as well. Yes, offside, um, yeah. and, you know, if, if Tom Davies had just had the conviction to shoot that chance, maybe they would have lost that game. Tom Davies um, has been done by defence by Everton, you know, I think it was at Goodison a couple of years ago against Solskjaer, where he had a last-minute goal disallowed because someone was standing yes, partially yeah. in front of... David De Gea, which I thought was a disgraceful decision at the time, but uh, yeah, he's had he's had prior, so he, he he has every right to be distrusting of everything that happens. Um, yeah, I think you, Mark Critchley and everyone makes a massive point. Like I think having discussed Barcelona earlier in this pod, we know that they are almost the the prototype for everybody else to follow in this footsteps. And I think Manchester United are in danger of being that in the future if they were to drop out some of these magnificent attacking players I know Ronaldo's just been parachuted in but some of the other players that have pulled these moments out of nowhere in recent seasons Rashford Cavani uh, Greenwood most recently obviously and, and Bruno Fernandes you know the, they would be in the same dire strait as, as Barcelona would be right now you know maybe without the financial constraints Barcelona are under um, but in terms of a, a strategy and a way to play it is very much kind of you're like what are they even trying to do I read an interesting tweet and I forget who it was by but I'm sure you have seen it as well that Manchester United have morphed into a possession team without creating without being able to create t- chances but still being unable to defend and you know that that speaks into what you were saying they cannot defend transitions I was the goal Everton scored during the week um, or the weekend it was very reminiscent of that Newcastle goal from a few weeks mm-hmm. ago um, almost identical I thought oh this is really good play from Everton but if you analyse it it's almost exactly the same play from Manchester United a couple of players have been swapped out of course but the thing still happened yeah and like the, the like I, I don't think it's necessarily that bad like I think ultimately they will still probably finish fourth if they keep trick chugging along or chugging along as they as they are do or, or whatever um, like I think yeah. they will be ultimately fine and that this isn't quite a disaster and that they but the know, kit man will finish fourth with that team yeah, like that is the other thing is like this really is not how to best make use of the players that they have. Um, and yeah. to an extent, you could say that, you know, football isn't necessarily about maximizing resources. That's maybe a bit of a cold hearted way to look at sport. Mm. And and maybe there is a romance to the fact that they're trying to do something with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, that they're trying to yeah. give him time. Um, and I'm not necessarily going to knock that either, um, because I, I do think it would be nice if if there's a bit more romance to the game. But yeah, you know, but what is all they doing at this point? Like we've said, that, that we've that's that's before, the thing. Yeah. Like the the way that I've often seen it described is that Solskjaer is um, best put. The the best way to describe Solskjaer at Manchester United is no tactics, just vibes. Um, yeah. which it just you know is, is a really good way to sum it up and I think it's maybe you know there are obviously tactics but it's not um, as complex or intense as anything like his rivals um, hmm. but at the moment the vibes they're pretty bad and, and, and that's I suppose the, the trigger point of like then what is the point of it all if the vibes are no good if, if the performances are this poor and the results are like okay to match like you know there's 
brilliant players in the team that are just being completely misused, not used at all in some cases, or um, yeah, just not being organized well together either. It's it's just completely baffling what they're trying to do. Um, you know, there's like it's just really strange. Like you look at the the lineup that they've been putting out, like McTominay and Fred. We often we've spent a lot of minutes talking about a yeah. lot of hours talking about these two over the last 18 months two years or whatever mctomma fred yes yeah but the simple fact is that they don't progress the ball in a way that you need from a player in those positions because their other four players are starting so high up or that's you know mm. the, the aim is for them to start so high up bruno fernandez ends up in his own half uh, more more often than not these days because he gets just gets so frustrated he's like god damn it I'm going to just take the ball and I'm going to hoof it along myself because it's the only thing I can think to do yeah. right now um, and it's so frustrating as well when they have players like Paul Pogba Jaden Sancho and Bruno Fernandes who are so good at that um, that, that br- ability to bring the ball forward open up space create chances for others and they're just not utilising it at all um, and it, it just speaks of really poor management really poor coaching and you know as I said I think that you know there's a lot of positives that, that Solskjaer could take away from his tenure at Man United if he was to leave in the morning um, yeah. but you know you can really just see that he's not a guy that can that bring them to the next level um, and, and we're at the point now where they need to find that next level otherwise what is the point so who's what is the answer who is the appointee because I'm like before you answer like I don't think in a similar vein to what we said about Barcelona appointing the likes of Antonio Conte or, or, or I was going to say Rigo Saki but uh, uh, Allegri <laughs> yeah I know well I would I would be in favour of that you know they they went for the they went for the kind of system orientated manager they went for Van Hal didn't work out they went for the polar opposite and, and the kind of win at all costs the general generalissimo style with, with Jose Mourinho didn't work out they went with the romantic option with Ole Gunnar Solskjaer didn't work out what what would be the next step you know is they 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 United is a story of what ifs in the last 10 years they missed out on Pep Guardiola he chose City because the systems were there and he wanted to make his own history at that club rather than piggyback on somebody else and be constantly compared to Alex Ferguson that was his choice they also locked, lost out on Klopp because Klopp didn't want to go to the big teams per se. He wanted to go to the team that you know was was the the smaller. What was this little horse? Whatever Mourinho used to call uh, other teams in the league. They want he wanted to go to someone that was that was a, a somewhat comparable team to Borussia Dortmund, but in but in the Premier League. And he went to Liverpool. Like who else is there that United could attract? For a long term appointment, because I think I think the year I think they are after that now. I think they're done with the, oh you know we'll bring this guy in, settle the ship, and wait a couple of years. Who who is there? Because, like personally, I'm looking at your man at Bayern Munich, Nagelsmann. I don't, I don't particularly like his style of football. I don't think it would would gel with Manchester United, to be honest, or most Premier like maybe Chelsea, but I don't think it'll gel with most other clubs in in England. Um, who else is young and, and hungry? Ten Hag, maybe, but that would be another massive change at United. And I don't know if they have the patience to work with someone like that. Um, so you you want someone at the top of their game, but not too dissimilar from Solskjaer. Who is that? Yeah, like I don't think there is one guy that, that can take this squad and, and immediately turn it into... Uh you know, this um, immediately going to challenge for all the major trophies. Like, you know, the guy that that has proven he can do that in the past is Antonio Conte, but I don't know, does that really work out? That's not a long-term appointment. No. I mean, 
so you know they need someone else the the, the really stupid thing is that Solskjaer has done a great job building this squad that is so much better than the one he left or he was given rather but mm. then again if someone with a more modern progressive um, complex type of tactical thinking comes in they're not going to be able to work with some of these players they're not going to no. be able to work with McTominay Fred Aaron Wan-Bissaka uh, Ronaldo yeah. probably even possibly even David De Gea who's actually you know had a nice resurgence in form lately so that's maybe what five mm-hmm. players that immediately need and replacing and quick, at that point you're building the whole squad again yeah quick question on David De Gea and Dean Henderson Dean, what is Dean Henderson like w- with the ball at his feet is he someone that can play with the ball at his feet or is he you know alright passable the way that say De Gea is or a lot of other kind of a different era of goalkeeper are We've seen, I think, already that he's much more comfortable with the ball at okay. his feet than De Gea, and he's also much more comfortable coming out of his goal than De Gea, which allows them to play a much higher line. The reason that Dean Henderson has started the season on the bench is that he um, had an injury that he missed the Oros out for, that he was only just coming back from during preseason, and then he said he was suffering from long COVID as well. Mm. So he was suffering from fatigue a lot. Um, so those yeah. kind of factors combined to him missing the start of the season. Yeah, I think so he, he only he only really got back into the team. I think after the international break, and by then David Hay had had a string of really good performances. So mm. can't take him out of the team right now, which is an awkward yeah. position for Ali. So you know, at the very least, I think whoever comes in would be able to bring in Dean Henderson probably, or would transition to that. Yeah. Um, which to be fair, I think Solskjaer will still do. Um, but Aaron Wan Bissaka, like we've talked about his problems. Yeah, he great, can. Great. He's not. He's not Trent Alexander Arnold. He's not no. of that class. And even um, Luke Shaw on the other side, he isn't. While better, and I acknowledge that, and I'm not the biggest Luke Shaw fan. He is better than Aaron Wan Bissaka. He can distribute the ball better. But again, he's not the most modern of fullbacks. Yeah, like I think it, whoever came in in the morning, I think would be pretty happy to have Luke Shaw left back. But Aaron Wan Bissaka would maybe frustrate mm. them a little. Um, and, Fred and, and like and maybe they could move him well. to centre back. That's what I think it was. Wan defensively he's, he's the, fantastic. Like but he has the tackling and recovery has, pace. Uh, I don't know. He's still positionally lacks discipline. Mm. He's not great in the air. Yeah, you know, he's he still small. has. Yeah. He's still got things to iron out in his game, which I don't think he can really afford as by United starting right back or starting centre back when. Especially when the competition is, you know, Victor Lindelof and Eric Bailly are on the bench. You know, mm. they've got Ferran and Maguire. Big lads. They're they're pretty set there. Um, mm. So it, it is this really awkward position for Man United where things aren't bad enough that, you know, it's obvious that they should get rid of Solskjaer, but it's also not good enough that they will, you know, you can see how they'll win things. So they're kind of yeah. stuck in that weird Wenger zone, that late-stage Wenger zone. Yeah, what can um, you do? If you, okay, if you are Ed Woodward, and I don't think he's going to get rid of him before he leaves, so it'll be in January at the very earliest, I think that, unless something goes drastically wrong, and I still don't think Ed Woodward's final uh, act as executive or chief executive of Manchester United, whatever his title is, is sacking a manager and bringing in somebody very quickly. This new fella, the the junior Ed Woodward, uh, the clone of him, like, what... Like who? Like what? Do you, your first, your first major decision as Manchester United chief executive is to sack the manager. Like what? How? How do you even do that? I don't know if he, this guy will have the nous or ability to do it. He doesn't have the footballing experience. He doesn't have the, even the the chief executive experience. Uh, you know the experience at another club or anything like it to kind of drive that. He's a commercial guy first and foremost. 
like I don't necessarily and it, it is similar to Arsenal as you said I don't necessarily trust Manchester United's uh, backroom staff or whatever you want to call them their board of directors or I don't trust them to actually make a decision at all in this matter and I think the fact that Ole's still there is kind of uh, a testament to that yeah and, and I suppose the other thing that I want to touch on as well is and I agree with what you say there that they, they're clearly not one of the more well run clubs in, in world football but the other thing you talk about as well is like you mentioned how they went with the the systems driven coach, the you know the winner at all cost coach, and now the romantic coach. Yeah. Like you know, is Louis Van Gaal really at the top of the game in two thousand and fourteen, two thousand fifteen? We know Jose Mourinho wasn't. Solskjaer has no, never been close. No. They've never but that's been able to bring in. Their timing is always off. Yeah, their timing has always been off. Like they've missed out on uh, Pochettino Poch, as well. Gerard yeah. um, Klopp described Poch, it as like Disneyland. Yeah. So, like, you're completely right that they miss out on those managers and maybe if they'd gotten one of them, things yeah. would be totally different. Arguably, um, they miss out on Nagelsmann this summer when he's gone to mm-hmm. to Bayern, um, you know. Have they, they miss they've, out missed out, they've missed out on Conte. They've missed out on, on plenty yeah. of coaches in the past. And it is an awkward time as well because a few years ago it was an ample opportunity to do that because they had young players coming through. And now those young players are starting to become 23, 24. They're starting to mature into their primes and... You know, at that stage, it's very hard to teach a, an old dog new tricks. Yeah. Um, you know, it's those 18, 19, 20-year-olds that yeah. are at their most impressionable. So, it well, is like, interesting. It, do you, I don't think this Manchester United side could play a high-pressing game. I'd, I'd like... Not with Ronaldo in it, for certain. Ronaldo for sure. can press for two or three minutes. That's all you're going to get out of him. He's done it in matches. And by all means, and, when and it matters, he'll do it. But, I, I do, you know, Rashford, I do wanna... maybe. Greenwood, maybe. The rest, that midfield isn't going to press. Like the, I do want to give credit as well to Cavani. Who did you see that clip oh, yeah. of? Um, he that guy can still run. Uh, he's extremely fit. Um, oh yeah, you know I, I think know, he, he and he's another one. Like I have issues with Cavani, but he is definitely in, another one in that group of players that is just whether it be sports science, whether it be people knowing their own body, whether it be looking after yourself properly as a professional athlete for twenty years actually pays dividends. He's in that group of a, a player who I can easily see play near top level football, at least in part until he's forty. Easily. And, he's and, just a guy that is not a guy for big moments. And the thing as well that, that really sticks out is like he is a great example and him and Ronaldo are two great examples of why this isn't a coherently built team at all. No. Um, you know, we I think Cavani but, and Ronaldo yeah. are such vastly different players. Like if it was up to me I'd be playing Cavani pretty much every yeah, every was, minute you can get out of him. Ronaldo he, was he, Ronaldo he brings, but Cavani brings so much more to his game uh, while still being able to score goals. Like, then you fit both of goals. them in. Then you fit both of them in. That's I, I, the, the I job of the coach. Uh, this is I, what Carlo. It's like I think Carlo Ancelotti. Although again, he will be another appointment, <laughs> well beyond his best. He is a guy that has come to terms with. Okay, if I have two amazing players in my squad, I will make use of both of them. I don't know how yet, but I'll figure a system out that will benefit both of them. And I think that's the the key to being a manager. I think, like yeah, Solskjaer isn't. I don't want to lay all the blame at him. He, like I think he's limited as a coach, and that's fair enough. It's it's just who he is. There's, it's very hard to be a a phenomenal coach and not many as you can see not many people in the world have that ability and I don't think he's one of them um, but he's also been dealt a, an, an not, it's not an unfair hand because it's some of the best players in the world but it hasn't been dealt the most coherent hand and this has been the way at Manchester United since Ed Woodward took over from was it, Dave, was it David Gill? 
mm. was in charge right before him. Um, mm. You know, signing Mata and Fellaini because they're both available. Like, just, oh, because they're available, we'll take them. You know, signing Ronaldo because he's available. Taking Cavani because he's available. Signing Falcao because he's available. You know, it's it's not... You know, it's not because, okay, we want to go out and we want to sign this player. It's because they're taking, oh, this would be a, a good back page story. This will get us our share price up, as they say. This will increase our engagement. That's why they signed them. Um, but, yeah. But but they're... let's face it, like, Solskjaer can't use that excuse when it comes to Ronaldo because he was the man front and centre saying, we want him. Like, uh, Rio pulling the, the strings, you know. No. Yeah, but you I, would. Like, I... Ronaldo is one of the best players of all time, like, at least in his position. No, but is. I think at this point, the best use that they could make for Ronaldo is that whenever they're not winning a game with 15 minutes to go, they bring him on. That's literally the only way I'd use him because he, the dude can't run. He, he contributes absolutely nothing to a game except for the it's fact the that he's really yeah. good at putting the ball out of the back of the net at a clutch moment yeah. and he, which and is he exactly does, like, what you use in those last 15 minutes is exactly yeah. what you need but the problem then is that without him using a much more coherent starting 11 ones that works together yeah. much better um, they actually wouldn't need to find that last minute goal in the last 15 minutes as often as they've done already this season like every game right now is this huge melodrama and it's so mm. unnecessary because they're playing players that don't fit together like the signing of Ronaldo, I think, has really hampered Jaden Sancho and has made yeah. him look more like Donny van der Peek. Donny van der Beek is sitting on the bench, who's this really talented yeah. midfielder who just doesn't fit into the team at all. Paul Pogba, they found a role for him, but then what happens when Marcus Rashford comes back? Because they fit the same position, even though they play slightly different roles. Like I do think, yeah. to an extent, they've really missed Rashford because he's, he's just that extra bit of... He's that dynamic... He, he adds that extra well he layer. did running he did running which is some like I think and he runs Greenwood, with the ball like young, it, yeah it, like it, he, he is someone that chooses his moments Rashford it, is more of a a selfless yeah selfless player like you see on sun, on Saturday when Martial got the ball on the left and, and Everton immediately put three guys on him and he'd run into them and it would go nowhere and to an extent, I feel bad for Martial. I think he should get out of Manchester United. But when the, you can see the difference between him and Rashford there, because Rashford beats those guys. Like he he's good enough to do that. Maybe not every time, but uh, he's definitely good enough to to beat the beat the man, open the space for himself, and then either get a shot on the end of it or, or open up space for someone else to get a shot at the end of it. And I think that they've really missed that. And it'll be interesting to see. You know, I think he's supposed to come back after the international break. It'll be interesting to see how um, the team dynamic changes with him in it. Um, and who who loses the minutes because out. of it? Yeah, um, I suspect it, it could be Paul Pogba or Mason Greenwood. I'm my money be on Greenwood because Pogba's too big of an investment, and if they're looking to offload him slash get him a new contract, this they'll have to keep him happy. But then and the problem is Rashford doesn't work as well. He's still a good player on the right, but he doesn't yeah, work as well on the right. No, and then at that point, you know, why did they sign Jaden Sancho, a guy who you know the right wing has been a problem area for Manchester United for years? This was a guy who was doing excellently on the right for but, a high level team like Borussia Dortmund at an extremely yeah. young age. He seemed like the perfect fit, and then they've just decided actually we don't know how to fit him into this team and so we're yeah. going to keep the, him on well, the bench yeah the jury's still out in Sancho we've, we've talked about him briefly I'm concerned about him and I think the German connection has a bit about that with the way the, the German league but transforms no, I, into I, I, the English I'll league. put it this way I'll put it this way Jaden Sancho at Dorm is one of the best players in the world and right now 
they haven't figured out a way how to, to maximize no. that at Manchester United. And it doesn't make any sense then, because but, why sign a guy that you don't know how to use? And we just because come back it's, to Donny van der Beek. Well, if you want to be cynical about it, they signed him because you get, they get one over Man City, because they sign a former Man City youth prospect and get one to shove it in their face that he's now at Manchester United. And they get to say, oh, we've signed big England international, big star, big... You know, the same way they did when they when they signed other players. It's almost but, but every this, player they've signed for Bruce Dormand. this was a guy who, looking at what he did at Bruce Dormand, he fit in like so a glove. So was Mkhitaryan. So was Mkhitaryan. So, you know... It's, it's difficult, Kagawa, to an extent... Well, Kaga well, because he's English. Because it's Rooney, different because he's English. Yeah. Well, Kaga was signed as a replacement for Rooney, and then Rooney stayed. Like that's just how that happened. Um, and Mkhitaryan was a guy who did well at Bruce Dortmund, of course, but had you know player one, of the year, one good season, and you know didn't really fit into a Mourinho system as as and was, as we found out. And he's is still he playing in games. Mourinho system now? Isn't he? <laughs> He is now, but uh, yeah. at the time he didn't fit in with a Paul Pogba yeah. and a Zlatan Ibrahimovic. It's again, it's a case of they sign one the wrong guy time. who makes a ton of sense for the team and you know feels like they could be the absolute missing piece, and then they sign another guy who you go, well, that doesn't square at all. It, it, you know, this doesn't work out at all. You know, Ronaldo is the Paul Pogba mm. to Jaden Sancho's Henry Mkhitaryan potentially, or maybe Zlatan um, yeah. instead of Paul like, Pogba. I think I think it goes back to their the strategy and their lack thereof and their signings and then that leading to poor on field management and if you don't have a world class coach to kind of put the puzzle pieces together, it's always going to end up like this. And I'll you know I'll I'll leave it at this because I know we've gone on too long, but a couple it's two years now at least. I think it was pre pandemic when Manchester United were talking about appointing. So it must be two seasons, two full seasons ago. Manchester United were talking about appointing a technical director. Monchi was available at the time. He's since gone back to Sevilla. Well, they've hired... Um, they have done that. They brought in Darren Fletcher and promoted... Um, I can't remember the name of the other guy, but they have. They have a yeah, much but more that's not the same. system in place. That's not the same. That's, you're pointing from... You're pointing people who work for other people in the past. You're pointing people to come in Yeah, but that's at a what level Monchi below. was at Roma. Roma was no, but for, uh, Monchi, He's a former Mon- Sevilla player. Like, that's just yeah, but, how it is. Well, Monchi... I, he's I, a guy that said went to Roma, and, uh, but he was a guy that went to Roma and didn't succeed at all. He he, he was a uh, out of town there. Um, you know, he's well, a guy that went to Sevilla. Like bringing in a technical director is important to know the club. Like that's just how these yeah, things work. And and Darren, but you know, there's nothing really. Just do you trust Darren? Darren? Do you think Darren Fletcher made a? You think Darren Fletcher picked Ronaldo and Jaden Sancho? No, I think it, who it else imagined for Glazers picked Ronaldo. Yeah, possibly, but that's the point. You need to have someone in there who's actually making footballing decisions. And I know there, you know, ideally you'd have someone who knows the club well. But you're pointing in a guy who used to play for, the, like, the coaches at the club who isn't going to be. St- I don't think Darren Fletcher, in all due respect to him, is going to be standing up to anybody in that Manchester United. Terry Feeling, you think he's standing up to Terry Feeling or Mike Feeling? Sorry. You no, think he's standing the, up to him? It's not, not about chance. Darren Fletcher signing up to that. It's about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer now signing up to that because he's the but guy they that can actually puts to... the team. Yeah. But like, like I'm if, even... If, you... No, I'm sorry, but uh, just this point I want to make is yeah. if Mirtu Pochettino or Pep Guardiola or any of these guys you've mentioned that could have been at Manchester United but aren't, if any of them were at Manchester United and they were told by Rio Ferdinand via text, what do you do with not signing Cristiano Ronaldo? Do you think any of them would have even responded? Like, what was Ole Gunnar Solskjaer thinking when he decided, yeah, we'll bring in Cristiano Ronaldo? It was, you know, it's a part of the whole nostalgia Hashtag thing. Hashtag banter. You know? it, was, it was about the passion and he knows the club. It was all the same stuff that yeah. got Solskjaer the job in the first place. It was the natural conclusion of that whole storyline, that narrative, is that Solskjaer is going to bring back the devil. 
Um, and it's just so pointless. Like, I, I completely get that, you know, on the pitch as a footballer, Cristiano Ronaldo was one of the greatest players to have ever played football. That is just, you know, how it is. But that's what he was five, ten years ago, maybe even three years ago. He's not that anymore. You know, there became a point he, in the discussion yeah. where it was no longer about Messi or Ronaldo, who, you know, fighting it out for the Ballon d'Or. It was about, yeah, Messi and a bunch of other guys fighting for the Ballon d'Or, and Ronaldo was no longer in that conversation. That happened at Juventus, and it's yeah. still the case now. Yeah. Like, yeah, I suppose that is, I, I think that will ultimately be his downfall. Yeah, it it could well be. I but I'm not laying the blame entirely at his at his feet. I think it's a collective. No, it's Solskjaer's problem. Well, I think it's a collective problem because I think it's I think it Solskjaer's limitations, and he will fall on his sword eventually because of that. But I I think he the the management shouldn't get scot- away scot free. I'm not talking about Mike Phelan here or Darren Fletcher or whoever else. I'm talking about the Glazers. No, I'm you're about right. Woodward, yeah. Ned Woodward's successor, because they have, and we we've listed them out in this episode. We've listed out where they've done it in the last ten years, where they've just done bizarre signings that don't really fit together, as you pointed out. You're right. One after another. And I will continue, no matter who's, they could put in Pochettino in there, and Pochettino could still be landed. Okay, Pochettino, you're going to get, uh, name an elderly player that's playing for somebody right now. Neymar. Yeah, you're going to get Neymar in three years' time, and just put him in your team, and you could still have Rashford there, and Greenwood there, and and even Jadon Sancho still there. And okay, you don't have a space for him in the team, but you're putting him in the team because we spent all this money on him, so you have to have him in there. And you yeah, know, and or or and this one is actually very realistic. When Real Madrid come at the end of the season to try and get rid of Eden Hazard, where do you think uh, one of the first people they'll ring up will be? Yeah, yeah, you're right, and I, I can see that happening. And and, yeah. and it's the players like Greenwood and Rashford that I, I feel the most sorry for because yeah. they're missing um, out. You know, I think they're I think they're ultra talented. I think that you know if they were under the right environment, they'd be good enough to win the best trophies out there. Um, and they're not being afforded the opportunity to do that. But I suppose the end point that I would put to this whole conversation is that ultimately May United will be fine as well. Like the the whole point of um, no tactics, just vibes, is that you know we have eleven good players on the pitch and that they'll be able to figure it out. And you know they do; they have really good players and they should be yeah. able to figure it out most games. But in those games like Everton and Aston Villa, who are decent mid-table sides, who will really make it work for a game, they most of the time might get a result but not every time and and that's where Leetas are lost now that's where Champions Leagues aren't won because you know they lost their young boys and that three points could be the difference between getting second and third in in, in a tight group so um, ultimately yeah I think that we're seeing the limitations of Solskjaer as a manager again I think if he were to go in the morning he would be a credit to the club he's doing a lot right I think his biggest mistake was bringing in Ronaldo um, and, uh, and to an extent I think that that was put upon him by Rio Ferdinand and the uh, Glazers yeah. and, and Ed Woodward I, I don't think he had much of a choice in that because of his no he didn't I think the deal leverage. was to be done yeah and it was going to be done he didn't have enough leverage through his CV yeah. and reputation and, and he he himself didn't have the balls to say no either I don't think yeah. so um, and we'll see that by his uh, insistent on playing him in every game here on out even when it looks rude uh, ludicrous to do so um, but ultimately like you know we've been very negative on Manchester United but ultimately it's because we think that they have a potential to be 
in a title race to be in a Champions League contendership race and instead they will probably get knocked down in the last 16 and finish fourth in the league and that's just not good enough for the money they spent yeah for the for the squad they have the money they spent it, it it isn't over the past 10 years it's not only the last year but over the past 10 years they should have built something more cohesive than what they have exactly um now do you think just just before we go do you think if Manchester United go back crash back into the Europa League again which is a possibility I don't necessarily think it's going to happen but it is a possibility do you think they will pull the pull the pull the switch whatever the phrase is pull the lever and jettison Ollie out of the club do you think that'll happen or do you think they'll just no where uh, Ed Woodward would say I'm leaving next month so he's staying yeah it's it's a really as I said awkward is, is the word I'd mm. sum it up most and I think that if they finish third in this in this group but they get the results in the league that they're still pretty close to the top they'd probably leave it as is and just yeah. say well that was just unfortunate for whatever reason you know, Solskjaer could point to that young boys game and there and one Masaka red card and say that was where everything went wrong. Um, I suppose we'll see how that group goes. But uh, I think, you know, they're coming into a really tough period and that's, I suppose, we want to get this conversation done before that happens because it yeah. could, this is make or break moment is what we're setting it up as for Solskjaer. You know, he, yeah. he's turned it around in the past when things have been yeah. tough. Can he the do it again? players have done it, yeah. You know, the, the players, I think, have proven that they are behind Ali the way that yeah. they've come back from so many games like that is a testament to their mentality um, and that's one thing I won't doubt with this team is they have a great um, uh, mentality to keep going and they never give up yeah. and it's really impressive and and Solskjaer is a credit to that as well I think but yeah you know it could be a case of this is the beginning of the end for Solskjaer because this upcoming schedule after the international break is really difficult and you know he's thrived in those difficult circumstances in the past but there's only so many times that he can pull that off and um, given the way that they play at the moment and given their performances so far this season, I don't see them doing it. Um, mm. I think right now that the the types of performances against Aston Villa, against West Ham, against Wolves, against Everton, that's just how it is at Manchester United for the foreseeable as long as Solskjaer is there. And I don't think that's good yeah. enough right now. But it's good enough to get results most of the time. Um, so it is yeah. it's a weird spot to be in but yeah they remind me of late stage Wenger quite a lot and I think they, mm. they will still finish fourth you know that's fine but you know I don't know will anyone at Manchester United be proactive enough to say this isn't good enough they should be competing mm. and you're going to have to go and fall on your sword now um, and the, the other thing as well is that there is as we mentioned no obvious kind of silver yeah, bullish yeah. man to bring in and fix everything so that makes things more difficult as well yeah yeah it does it's mysterious times ahead yeah and, and I suppose it's it's quite odd that there's so much to say about so many of the super clubs at the moment um, but uh, yeah nice little break coming up for us now I guess yeah. let's go um, into international football yeah uh, I suppose we'll probably next week t- talk about the non-super club teams because we did want to touch on that this week but ran yeah. out of time so until then thank you for being here Andrew thanks for having me Declan and we'll be back again next week Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, then don't forget you can tell family and friends about the show. Spread the word of the Total Football Takeover. This show can also be found on podcast services, including Spotify, by searching Total Football Podcast. You can also subscribe to my own Medium page in the show notes. You can follow Andrew on Twitter at Conbon27, C-O-N-B-O-N, and myself at CheesyHeartPun, C-H-E-E-S-Y-H-I-R-T-E-P-U-N. Most of all, thank you for listening, and we hope to be in your download feed next week too. The more the merrier. That's what we always say.